of heights to the depths of the sea. And notice in verse 1 it says, And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. And he said to him, Why are you alone? No one is with you. And there's good reason for him to feel afraid because David, if you recall, was a national hero. And as, da- as one of Saul's right-hand men, the, one of the commanders of his army, the, the most victorious man of, of all the guys who would be um, taking the armies out, normally when he would travel, he would have a, a group of men with him, a small army with him wherever he went. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As David finds himself in uncertain circumstances, he went to the right place, the house of the Lord. It seemed unusual to Ahimelech the priest that a prominent man like David wandered around the villages of Judah by himself. So he asked David, why are you alone? It appeared that Ahimelech knew nothing of the conflict between David and Saul, but knew it was dangerous for David to be traveling alone. As we continue our study, we learn that David will lie to protect himself, but there will be consequences to his lies. Now let's join Pastor Rob in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. 1 Samuel, chapter 21. You remember last week we looked at chapter 20, and it was uh, when David was really had this really uh, emotional saying of goodbyes to his best friend and probably one of his best allies on the planet at that time, other than God himself, was Jonathan. David and Jonathan had to part ways and you recall that they had devised a, a, a system of, uh, for David because he was hunted by Jonathan's father, King Saul. There was really no way for David to be in Saul's presence any longer. Saul had become unhinged and was just completely bent on destroying David, obviously being very jealous of him, um, not only because of his military prowess, but also because of his, his uh, uh, musical ability, no doubt. And here David is on the run, and so Saul, or excuse me, Jonathan and David make this, this pact with one another, this vow to each other, that when David became king, that they would honor one another and that they wouldn't hurt each other's families. And I really think that's a remarkable thing for these two brothers to do. They, they were brothers in the sense of they had the same spirit Jonathan was a man of faith, and so was David. And Jonathan knew that David would ultimately be king. And he knew that his father, Saul, would not be much longer. It would actually be several years that Saul would still remain in power. But God had already called Samuel the prophet to go and anoint David as the next king. And so David would spend a good many years running for his life. 
and Saul, or excuse me, Jonathan was really his only ally. And Jonathan wasn't concerned about him taking the throne, which is norm, the normal course of, of kingship. When a father, the king dies, his son takes his place. But Jonathan, knowing very well that he was not the rightful king of Israel, that David was. And so they had this wonderful relationship, a relationship that really surpassed the love of women, the Bible says, which is pretty significant. You know, and it is possible to have somebody that close to you, you know, men and men and women and women, for it not to get weird but still love each other in, in, a, really, in really a, a real respect. And you understand what I'm saying. It is rare, but it's, it's very possible. And whenever you have something like that, don't dismiss it. You know, when you find a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, someone you can confide your very heart with and know that it's secure, to know that it's secure, you can tell them anything, your deepest, darkest secret, and they would never tell a soul. That is so rare today. And that's what makes what happens so special. And so David, uh, upon this arrangement that they made in the field, uh, these signals that uh, Jonathan would give to David to signal whether he should be on the run and get away because his father certainly had it out for him, or whether he should come back into the, into the palace and continue to serve alongside the king, that signal had been accomplished. David knew then that he would, should be on the run because Saul had it in for him to kill him. And so we get to chapter 21, and let's just read it straight through. It says, Now David, after this, he comes to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, and he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what, you, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither sword nor spear or weapon, my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the king, or the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will, take that. Take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. And then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. 
So he changed his behavior before them, pretending pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate and let saliva fall down on his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman, madman, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this, fa- shall this fellow come into my house? And so here we find David certainly not in his finest hour. In fact, I would be willing to say this is probably Davis, David's darkest days that he would experience before he would come into his kingdom many, uh, a handful of years before Let's go back to verse 1. It says that David came to Nob, and Nob is this city. Uh, the, name of the name of the city, Nob, literally means a knoll or hill, and many believe it's one mile and a half to the northeast of Jerusalem. So if you're looking at a map of Jerusalem, just northeast of Jerusalem would be the town of Nob, or this little village. And there is some speculation on the exact location, but many believe it's right there around the Mount of Olives in that area, and that's exactly where it is. In fact, when you drive up, if you go to uh, Israel, or maybe you've been to Israel with us, when we drive on the bus from Jericho and we make that long descent going up the hill up to Jerusalem, Nob would probably be on the left hand or the right hand of that road. Um, and that's really where they think this is located. And evidently during this time, the tabernacle was set up there in this town you recall that Shiloh, um, several chapters prior in First Samuel, when we looked at the lives of um, Hophni and Phinehas and, and their father, who was high priest at the time, and remember they brought the Ark of the Covenant into battle with the Philistines, and the Philistines destroyed Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle had been set up. It was actually set up there during the days of Joshua, And so there it was. But then they did the foolish thing of bringing the ark into battle with the Philistines. Not only did the Philistines take the ark from the children of Israel, but then they destroyed the town of Shiloh. And so they they moved the the, the tabernacle and all of its articles. They moved it to Nob, this place very near to Jerusalem. And notice in verse 1 it says, And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. And he said to him, Why are you alone? No one is with you. And there's good reason for him to feel afraid because David, if you recall, was a national hero. And as, da- as one of Saul's right-hand men, the, one of the commanders of his army, the, the most victorious man of, of all the guys who would be um, taking the armies out, normally when he would travel, he would have a, a group of men with him, a small army with him wherever he went. And certainly he would be armed himself. So now he comes to Ahimelech, the priest, in Nob, in the city, and the, the, the high priest has no idea of the relationship or the lack thereof between Saul and David. He's not aware of anything. And so he's, he sees David with no weapons. He, he probably looks somewhat disheveled, probably looks hungry, thirsty, tired, fearful. Have you ever seen somebody who's just like frazzled, you know, like that cat that's got a little too much electricity? You know, the, 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 you know it's just frazzled. And that was David. He stands before Ahimelech, and Ahimelech's going... Something doesn't quite feel right. And he was right to feel that way. Because where are, where's, where are all your men, David? You should at least have you know, a handful of guys around you, well-armed. And why aren't you armed? And why are you here?
And so David said to him, verse 2, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you, and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Was David telling the truth? He was not telling the truth. And so here, again, David, not one of his finest moments in his life, and, and we saw this in the previous chapter, right? Because Jonathan and he came up, they concocted this, they hatched this plan, and they lied to Saul. Tell your dad that I went to Bethlehem you know, for the feast of the new moon, and that's why I'm not at the seat. But really what it was is it was a ruse to find out the real intentions of Saul. And Jonathan found out very clearly and almost lost his life, realizing that Saul wanted to kill David. And he even attempted to kill Jonathan, his own son, because he knew that there was this relationship between the two of them. And so, but David was lying. So he lied then, and he's lying now. He was alone. There was, uh, biblically, we don't know that there's anybody with him at this time. Later on in this chapter, we'll find that 400 men amassed to him, those who were distressed and in debt, and they gathered to him at the Adullam's cave. But at this moment, he was a lone ranger, I believe, because there's nothing mentioning anything to the otherwise. But not only those things, not only in the previous chapter, not only right here is he lying, we're going to see later on in the chapter that He's going to be lying to Achish, the king of the Philistines, of the king of Gath. And I think we could all agree that lying is a sin. Is it not? Right? What does it tell us in Exodus 20, verse 16? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. A false witness, that means lying to your neighbor. Lying to anyone, lying is a sin. And so David, again, this great man of faith who we saw in chapter 17 and 18, defeating Goliath, rising from obscurity, this young man, and now he's a national hero, and everybody loves him, so, so very accomplished in his military exploits with Saul's armies. And now he is seemingly a very different man, a very different man. Later on, when uh, I believe David wrote Psalm 119, it doesn't say so on the psalm, but in Psalm 119, verse 29, it says this, Remove from, my, from me the way of lying. And I can't imagine anyone else who could say that like David, because he realized when he wrote that psalm, looking back on this moment of his life, realizing where he had fallen, the pit that he had dug for himself, You see, lies, liars, whisperers, backbiters, they ruin fellowships. That's why lying is a sin, because God knows it ruins people. It ruins people. It ruins fellowships. Even in this fellowship, in every church that you go to, folks, we are all the same. Even as Christians, we we all have weaknesses. We all have issues. Remember, this is a hospital. None of us here are perfect. We come here to be encouraged, and and hopefully we're growing. But in that growing process, sometimes there can be sparks. Sometimes there can be differences of opinion. And there can be some uh, iron sharpening iron. And is that ever pleasant? It's not. But only here can we get it right. And we don't have to run when we get upset. Enough of that has happened. Wouldn't you agree? Maybe many of you have been in churches. 
Isn't it better to resolve a matter and grow in something rather than just getting mad and then leaving? But that's what lying does. That's what backbiting does. That's what gossip does. It tears people apart. In Proverbs 16, verse 28, it says, A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. All it takes is a whisperer to tear apart a friendship that's been going well for years. In Proverbs 17, verse 9, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. So how, how, how careful do we have to be? You know, James said the, the tongue is such a small member, and yet it's, the, it's the, the smallest member of our body, but boy, has it got such poison. With a word, you can cut somebody off. With a word, you can say one thing, and they'll never speak to you again. With one word, a husband can speak to a wife and so wound her that it will take years for her to recover. How important are words? How important is backbiting and gossip? It's very important. In Revelation 21, verse 8, speaking of the eternal, our eternal resting place in the New Jerusalem, it says this, it says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, this is speaking, obviously, of not some person who just had a weak moment. This, is, this marks the life of a person who is continually doing these things without the Spirit of God in them. Thank God, as Christians, when we sin, we can go to the Lord, can't we? And we can confess it. Isn't that what 1 John 1 is all about? If we confess our sins, he is what? He's faithful in for, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we do. But for the unbeliever, they continue to sin, and they continue to sin, and there's no repentance. And there comes a point in the life of a person when they have continued in those things that we just read, and there is no repentance, there's no acknowledging Christ, no acknowledging their sin, that they will spend an eternity separated from God. And it will be their fault. It's not God's fault. But that's what happens. All liars. But David was a believer. I think the only time that it's permissible to lie is to protect the life, again, of an innocent, from an evil person or from a system. You protect the life. But what happened to David? At the very least, he was overcome by fear. Does anybody know fear here this evening? He was over. Have you ever been overcome by fear? Have you been overcome by so much fear that you just your knees start to cave, your knees start to buckle because, and your will is just wrought, and you're just like at the end of yourself? Have you felt that way? I felt that way this year. Have you? I think all of us have in many different ways. But at the very least, he was overcome by fear because he knew that he had very few allies, Jonathan being one of them and Samuel being the other one and Almighty God, and that's enough, I would say. But still, at our weakest moments, we sometimes forget about God. We sometimes forget about the two allies that we have, and the whole world seems to be against you. And the devil loves to make you feel that way. He loves to get you cornered. He likes to get you alone. That's what a wolf does with a shepherd or with a flock of sheep. He never goes after the whole bunch when they're together, even though they are defenseless. Have you ever seen a sheep? Have you ever seen a sheep with big things and stuff like that and claws like razors? 
It doesn't happen. It, you, uh, they can't even defend themselves. What are they going to do? Gnaw you to death? Have you seen their teeth? Not going to happen. But fear can be a powerful motivator for all kinds of things. And many of us, even in this last year, again, with the coronavirus and all the things that have been going on politically and, um, you know, just there's been so much, so much, so many people still in great fear. You don't have to live in fear like David In 2 Timothy 1, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you know, anything that you do that upsets that, you might want to think about getting rid of it. Can I make a few suggestions? Cable television. News. Social media. YouTube. Seriously. Consider eradicating it from your life. You'll call me up in a week after you've done so, and you go, it's the best thing I've ever done. I've completely withdrew myself, for the most part, from all this stuff. And I've got to be honest with you, it's been the, one of the best things I've ever done. And I want to continue on it because, folks, there's no good news out there. And there's so much deceit and dishonesty Wouldn't you rather spend that time with the Word? Wouldn't you rather spend that time in fellowship or in prayer? Wouldn't you rather spend that time doing anything, taking a walk along the canal path, doing something, anything, but watching that stuff? It's just going to tie you in a knot. It will tie you in a knot. Many of you are tied in knots right now. I met a a woman a couple Sundays ago, um, and I was talking to her, and uh, she sounded like exactly how I was back in January. And I said to her, I said, you know, just get rid of all of it. Just cut it out of your life. And you, you will feel better and, and get more focused on the word. And so we have been living in fear. But we don't have to live in fear. Like David, we don't have to live in fear. In First John chapter 4, it says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loves us, loved us. And he continues to love us. Do you know you're loved by God in spite of everything that you've done? Maybe even before this very day, you've really blown it. You've really made a huge mistake. You've done something. Do you think God is just going to cast you away? Do you think he was going to do that to David after his mistakes? I mean, think of this. I mean, he's lapsing in faith big time as we read this chapter. And then to know that after he becomes king, the sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, and can I tell you with all confidence and heaven on my side, David is in glory. He's in heaven. He broke. He asked God to forgive him, and he never went back. That's the difference. That's the difference, folks. If you sin, you confess it, and if you sin again, you confess it, and pretty soon you're going to hate it. Like God hates it. You keep confessing. You keep confessing. Ask God to forgive you, and he will forgive you. But David, when he did these things, he said, I'm done. I am done. And he was a broken man. And he wrote some of the most beautiful psalms that have ever been written for us to benefit from. 
But he loves. God loves. He's not angry with us. He took out the. I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585. 586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.